shift happening in me, and maybe it's because I'm getting excited. When I get excited, I tend to teach less and preach more, and uh, uh, I feel like preaching these days, and especially as we still are kind of lingering here with the Holy Spirit, this is a subject of of, uh, deepness for me in my own heart, my own life. Uh, It's been the thing that when I look back and go, how did I change? People ask me that all the time. Well, if you were this way, how did you get to this way that you are right now? Because there's a lot of people who don't know me any other way. Well, the thing is, is I don't think I did anything. I think that God put something inside me that changed me. And, and, I, and I don't know how to box that up, put a nice little bow on it, and gift it to you. I don't know how to make that thing sit underneath your Christmas tree. I, I don't know how to make God fill people with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how. I don't know how it was necessarily imparted unto me. I didn't go to a big church. I didn't go to a big uh, uh, you know, coliseum of a building. I went to this small little tiny church where I didn't even think the preaching was all that good. Three little white-haired women began to pray for me and two other guys. And out of the three, three of us that they prayed for, something changed in me forever. And that was the Holy Spirit that did that. And I don't know, I had known them for like a couple of years, these little ladies. I had known them for a long time, and yeah, they were some prayer warrior ladies, and we had respected them because of that, because they had a deep prayer connection with God. They would pray in the Spirit. You'd speak of them, they'd speak in tongues, they prayed, and you just felt like, man, I'm pretty sure like I feel bad for the devil today because they prayed. Like you felt bad, like they generally had this like air about them that when they prayed, you just knew like, man... I think there's like fires like starting everywhere, you know, because I, you know, and it was just that way. And and even when they prayed for me, it wasn't the first time they prayed for me. They prayed for me before, but something happened that day. And I've yet to figure out how to bottle it. I've yet to figure out how to formulate it. I have seen a lot of men try. I've seen all kinds of uh, evangelistic stuff. I've seen all kinds of things where I've tried to seek it out and seek that same experience, but it's to no avail. It's never happened again just like that. That's not to say that I haven't experienced the Holy Spirit again. No, I had. My first experience was, yes, this little time in the church where God came in me and, and, and really uh, uh, lit me on fire. And it was the first time I ever really thought, maybe I should preach because I feel so much like everybody should know about this that it, I, I felt compelled to preach. I felt compelled to, to tell somebody. But, you know, like anything else, it lingered away from me. And, and, and even though I, I just didn't think I was very good uh, at preaching, I didn't know, I felt like a, not a lot about the Bible. And I just felt so inadequate. But I could not stop what was literally had me on fire. And in that moment, I remember uh, uh, just believing, you know what, I got to stay with this though, because I've never felt this way before. Something inside me is different. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what words I can say to explain how I've changed, you know, and definitely there having that experience where I grew up was even harder because I was constantly reminded of the person I used to be. I was constantly around people who could remind me of the man I once was. And how shallow I seemed at times and how this was just a season where I just became religious. And, and I remember going through that time thinking, no, I'm going to stay faithful to this. Obviously, God has done something to me. Obviously, this is real. I don't know how to explain it, but it's real. I know that there's other people that are not going to believe it, but it's still real. It doesn't change what happened inside me. And I remember, some of you have heard this story. I remember, I'm going to be faithful, but church at that point, we were going every Sunday uh, uh, to Grand Prairie for church. Well, I lived 54 miles one way. Rachel was a tiny baby. We had no AC in the car. So we woke up very early in the morning during those summers and would carry our baby over and then stay till the evening when it was cooler to drive back. But on Wednesdays, we didn't go because I would work and not get home till late. And we would, I would attend this little small church because already by this time, 
uh, uh, Joy is pregnant with Reagan. And I remember, uh, you know, she, she's like, man, I'm big and pregnant. I already got one kid and one on the way. I don't want to go to church on Wednesday night. And I, and I understood that as a good husband. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's how, you know, married for 23 years. That's how. I listened to my wife, and, and, and that's, I think, praise God for the Holy Spirit who gave me that one too, right? And, and as I listened to her, I was like, but I want church. Something in me has changed. Something has is, is shifted in my spirit. I can't not go to church. I want to be around others. I want to be in a place where the Holy Spirit is going to manifest itself. And I remember I would go to this place called Word of Life, this little uh, nothing little 80-person uh, church in Terrell. And uh, uh, it, it, it was um, uh, just literally out in the outskirts of Terrell, uh, this, this young man preaching, and, and uh, his family did the worship and things like that. And it was like, much like how we start our church. It's a very small church with a bunch of small families and a very tight-knit group. And I remember I would come in on Wednesdays and just sit in the back, you know, and I just wanted to hear the preaching. And I just wanted a place where we could worship. And they were Pentecostal like me, which is to say they had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they moved freely in it. And as I was listening to them singing, and they were playing, and, and all this music is, is happening, I I remember uh, uh, one time as, uh, as I'm standing up and I'm worshiping in my own little row. You know how we didn't we don't get out of the rows. We stay in our rows. And I stayed in my row and I'm praying. And 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 uh, I remember the Lord coming up to me and saying, "Hey, I want you, I want you to know." Because I was asking the Lord if this is really your will, like for me to preach or something. Like, Lord, I got to know more than just the feeling. I got to have something more than that, Lord. And I remember the Lord coming and saying, listen, this is my voice. And to prove that you hear my voice, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get out of this row right in the middle of the fastest song they're playing, right? It's not a slow song where you can come in, come to the altar, and it's like appropriate. It's like, no, this is inappropriate. This is the fastest song they're playing. They're kind of dancing on the platform, much like we were just a minute ago. And I remember walking straight to the front. He says this, he said, God says, I want you to walk straight to the front and I want you to get down on your knees and pray. And, and this is, will be a sign that I'll put the pastor on his face. And I, and I, and the first thing I said was absolutely not. I think that's my own voice in my head. That's crazy stuff. I'm not going to do that, God. Surely this is not you. It's a fast song. God, you're inappropriate. You're inappropriate, God. That's not right. All right? This is just, I mean, they're doing their thing, Lord. It's, you know it's about you, right? And the Lord's like, listen, and he points, and, and basically in my mind, he's like pointing to this guy that's like three C. See this guy in front of you? And I said, yes, Lord. I go, I, I can always ask him to do it. And it hurt my feelings. It hurt my feelings. I said, Lord, you don't got to be that way. You don't got to be that way, God. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Because worst case scenario, God, if you don't meet me down there, then it's not you, right? It's just me. Right? It'll just be my voice that said that to myself. It'll just sound, because that's what it sounded like, guys. It wasn't like I heard like, uh, who is it in the, uh, 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 the, uh, the Egyptian Prince uh, cartoon? It's Val Kilmer that plays the voice of God. It wasn't Val Kilmer's voice I heard. It was my own. All right. It would have been awesome to hear Val Kilmer's voice, though. That would have been really cool. But I heard my own voice, which just made me think, probably a little crazy. And considering my life up to that point, that would have been highly believable. But I go up and I decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to walk to the front. I get out of the aisle. I go up to the front. It seems so wrong. And I get literally right in the middle, like not off to the side where I'm not a spectacle. No, right in the middle, just like he tells me to do. And I get on my knees and I begin to pray. Uh, and it's this, this area, much like we have right here, where we call it the altar, 
right? We call it the altar. It's the place where we meet God, the place where we come and we surrender, the place where we, you know, kind of just release, right? And we, we meet the presence of God. It's this place where we go, I'm humble. I got to humble myself because I'm stepping out here where I'm very, uh, uh, let's just say I'm very uh, uh, insecure in the altar because everything is exposed here. To come to the altar means I have to admit that I don't got it all together. I have to admit that I might be wrong. I have to admit that that uh, I need something more than just myself, right? It's a selfless moment. It, you definitely, to come to the altar, you are picking up your cross. That's why it's so hard and heavy to come to the altar. So, so as I approach the altar, I remember getting on my knees and I just closed my eyes because I'm just going to be honest. I, I wasn't looking for anything. I just wanted to keep my eyes shut. I already, I, nobody had heard the thing that I had heard. Nobody knew anything about it. And I quite honestly, I, when I closed my eyes, I just started praying and just being thankful that if this is the Lord's voice, that he had somehow decided to talk to me today and this would be awesome, right? And I didn't want to tell anybody because I'm still kind of new to the whole Holy Spirit and church thing. And if you start to tell people you hear a voice in your head telling you to do stuff, it's probably not wisdom at times to say that just to everybody. Pentecostals get that, not too much everybody else. Um, and, and so I go to the front, I get on my knees and I'm there and I'm praying and guys, I can't tell you when the music stopped, but it did. The pastor was part of the singing group, much like I do. He was singing up on the stage. His wife and his, his sister-in-law and a few others were up on the stage as well. My brother-in-law plays uh, drums up there, but he wasn't my brother-in-law even then. And the Lord did something unbelievable. And what he did is, I can't tell you when the music stopped, but when I opened my eyes, it seemed like a fog. It seemed like a haze. I can't tell you if it was actual fog. All I can tell you is it seemed like my eyes were hazy. Could you excuse it away as crying? Maybe. Maybe, but this is what I can tell you. When I looked up, everybody on the worship team was laid out on the floor. I don't know what to do with that, guys. At that time in my life, how do you, what do you, how do you process that? How do you tell somebody... That, hey, you know, like my Baptist brothers and my Methodist brothers, my Episcopalian brothers, how do you tell them about something like that? And, and, and they go, well, you know, God doesn't work that way anymore. Well, somebody should have told them. Because <laughs> I didn't tell them what God told me. God just said the pastor. He didn't say anything about, guys, not just the stage, but everybody in the church. And let me tell you something. As a guy who's been in a Pentecostal church and seen the Holy Spirit moment, when I say that God came down and put everybody on their face, you know the, little, the older couples that kind of sit and they really don't get, like, they'll stand up for one song and then they sit the rest of the song. I mean, they're on the floor too. Like, you know, we got to help them up because I don't know how they got on the floor. <laughs> but they're off their chairs and everybody is on the floor in the entire place. There's about 45 or 50 of us that night. And by the time it subsides... I'll never forget the pastor coming to me with the microphone and goes, what happened? What just happened here? And I'll never forget it, man. And then like with the big face that I'm getting right now, right? I remember like, the Lord said it was his boys. The Lord said that he was going to come and just put the pastor out. So I came forward. He told me what he was going to do to prove that he was talking to me. And the guy goes, son, sounds like you got a call on your life. Guys, I can't say I never ran from it either. But I can never forget it. <clears throat> I'm not Pentecostal by choice. I'm not Pentecostal because theologically I agree with it, though I do. I'm Pentecostal because I had an experience with God at the altar that changed me, that moved me, that makes me who I am today. I have never been the same since. When I say I hear the voice of God, I hear God telling me and encouraging me right now that we're going to have a better year. 
man, you can take it to the bank. You know, back when we were a youth pastor, and I said, God told me we were going to raise money for missions, that we were going to raise 4000 one year, we were going to double it to 8000 the next year, and twelve the next year. Guys, before I took over, it was only the most they'd ever done. At that point, it was like 1000 bucks before me. The year before me was $1,000 that, that the youth department had raised. Well, I didn't make up those numbers. That wasn't pride for me. God told me in prayer to do these numbers. And, and I'm not going to lie, I was scared to death. But what I can say is when God has told me something, it's come to pass. He doesn't happen all the time. And can I say, the older I get, the less it happens. You know, I've had to reconcile that. I feel like God is like a parent. God says, I already told you the right way to do it. Now just do it. I showed you how to walk. So go walk. Well, I mean, none of us are sitting around with our 18-year-old kid going, are you still looking good in that walking thing, are you? No. They don't teach you how to do that once you get older. You're like, don't be an idiot. Walk. I spent like five years of your life teaching you how to walk right. Just do it. Right? I feel like that's the same way with the Lord. The Lord doesn't have to tell me so much now. And you know why? Because he's already shown me so much. At some point, at what point does he just not release me and go, I release you back into the wild now. Go get it done. Well, what do I do? I've, already, I've been training you all these years. I showed you what to do. Go do it now. Go do it now. Jesus, I imagine that's probably the hardest thing to do. For three years, he sleeps, eats, drinks, everything with his disciples. And then at some point, he goes, all right, now go get it done. And guys, they're just doing it. And they have moments just like you and I, right? But where do they meet God? Where does God show up to them? When Peter first has, you know, Peter, who is somewhat racist against the Gentiles, does not want to see the Gentiles come to the Lord, mainly because they're being oppressed by Gentiles, all right? So the very people who are oppressing him, he doesn't want to save. He's kind of like, uh, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Like, Lord, I know that if I tell them to repent, they're going to repent, and I don't want them to. I want them to burn in hell. That's just being truthful. Peter's the same way, but where does Peter meet the Lord? In prayer at the altar. When Zechariah, well, I'm getting ahead of my sermon. I'm not even preaching my sermon yet. Listen, God wants to do something. Those miracle moments, you know, it's never happened like that again. You know why? Because God's already said, this is how I speak. This is my voice. He doesn't have to say it twice. I have found out in my life that when God decides he wants to show you something, he makes sure he staples it in your brain. You don't get to let go of it. I'm never going to have that probably happen again. We call that a Shekinah glory moment where the power of God just houses itself in the temple. You go look in the book of... Uh, in the, in the songs of Solomon or read about Solomon when the priests come in and he consecrates the temple. It's one of those moments where the smoke fills the room. That's what they're talking about, the Shekinah glory. And it says all the priests fell out. It's not unprecedented. It has biblical context. But I, can I tell you, at that time in my life, I didn't know any of that. All I knew is God said, this is my voice and this is the proof that this is my voice so that I could walk in it for the rest of my life. And listen, there were some things that I needed from that. But can I tell you just the biggest thing I want to like share with you about the whole thing? That's not an exclusive thing. I don't have like an exclusive right to Jesus. No, at the altar, everybody has rights to Jesus. At the altar, everybody has that right. At the altar, you can go face to face with the Lord. At the altar, God wants to give you what he gave me. He's not holding that back. That's not just for some. For some, they give this and for some, they don't. That's not what it is. God wants to hand it out to everyone. Listen to this. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar 
is laid. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of His Word and have peace and contentment always? You must do His sweet will to be free from all ill. On the altar, all you must lay. Oh, we can never know what the Lord will bestow of the blessings for which we have prayed till our body and soul He does fully control and, and are all on the altar is laid. That was written in the early 1900s by a young man named Elisha Hoffman. Listen, even that hymn at 119 years old, this hymn is unmistakable truth concerning the altar. The altar of God is mysterious. Uh, it's supernatural. It's life-changing. It's miraculous. It's symbolically the place where we meet God like Jacob face to face, where we wrestle with him. It is the one place that demands reverence and respect where we bow our knees and we remember how big God is and how small we are. In other words, it's a place of humility. Humility. Rarely is a soul in the church not affected by its presence and not inspired by their time as they kneel before it. It is the place of surrender. It is the place of worship. It is the place of praise. It is the place of adoration and so much more. The first time we see the word altar even appear is in Genesis 8, around verse 20. Noah had just survived the great flood. It's time to exit the ark. And the first thing he did wasn't kiss the ground, believe it or not. The first thing he did was built an altar. Listen this morning, Genesis 8, 18 through 22. <clears throat> So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Noah met God at the altar. Communion between man and God happened at the altar. And the altar would become the central figure where man would always reconcile him back to God. Don't believe me? You can do a quick study and you'll come to the same conclusion. The word altar is used over 378 times in the Bible. It's not just me talking about it this morning. The altar is the place where we meet God. The supernatural happens. Noah passed this down to his kids and they passed it down to their kids. And we can read from Noah all the way to Abraham that even Abraham was a man of the altar. He built one everywhere he went. In Genesis, from chapter, if you read just even chapter 12 and, and 13, it records Abraham building altars for praising God. He built an altar for just praying and communing with God. He built an altar for just, the, just enjoying the peace and stillness of God. He even built an altar for just being thankful for the provision of God. And he built altars everywhere. They, they became the places where basically in his life and in his heart where he encountered the Lord. And from Abraham to Moses, it would become law. Throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, there became specific instructions on how to build the altar and what it was used for. And the, 
Matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant was an altar in and of itself. It wasn't a weapon, contrary to those of you who are Indiana Jones fans. It probably wouldn't melt your face, but it's not what it was for. It terrified people, though. And you thought twice before approaching the ark, because if you confessed and you weren't telling the truth, people were known to die around the ark. Matter of fact, there's, if you go back and look at history, the Levites, the priests, would actually tie a rope and a small bell underneath their garment. And as they went in to approach the ark, if he lied or said anything wrong, the ark would kill him. And so when they quit hearing the bell, they would just pull the rope out. That way they could at least get the dead body away from the ark. You got to love how they just rather, I'm not going in there. Like God's angry. You know, I'm not going in there. What's funny is we think that's so Old Testament until we read about Acts, you know, with Ananias and Sapphira, where Peter, where they come up to Peter and goes, yeah, we've given all this stuff, right? And they didn't know they'd really held some back for themselves, right? And Peter goes, oh, you're lying. You're dead. Man, don't think that the Lord can't, can't do stuff, man. We always think that's only Old Testament. God would never do that. Uh, you need to read the New Testament. Even the ark, man. Even the ark was a altar. And throughout the years, even under King David, this would become the ultimate ark altar the ark would although they would build smaller ones from time to time and we even see it in the new testament as soon as the gospels open we see zachariah first thing if you if you're reading the book of luke or the book of matthew what are the first things that is happening it starts out with the story of john the baptist right and where is zachariah he is at the altar in the temple praying before the Lord when an angel appears to him telling him that he's going to have this child that's going to herald into Christ. That doesn't happen on his road back and forth to the house. It doesn't happen in his truck. It doesn't happen in his car. No, it happens when he's where? When he's praying before the Lord. When he's at the altar, God comes to him and gives him that promise. Jesus would later to go on and teach about the altar, that it's a place where healing can occur and where relationships can be restored. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift then. So Jesus teaches us that the altar is a place of reconciliation, not just between us and uh, 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 us and the Lord, but also between each other. God loves others, and if you love God, you're going to love others as well. At the altar, there's no place for grudges. At the altar, there's no place for temper. <laughs> no place for pride. Further on, Jesus reminds us that the altar is sacred. Matthew 23, 18 and 19. You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? It is the altar that makes things sacred. There must be a reverence then at the altar. For whatever is near it or around it or placed at the altar becomes sacred sacred now why is that because it represents the very presence of god for the jews of the bible the altar was very real it was found in the inner courtyards of the temple for the church of the new testament jesus did change the location of the temple to now being within us this is why we later on see the idea in the book of hebrews that the altar of god rests here this shouldn't be all that surprising as when we talk of receiving Christ today, we do so by saying what? Will you receive Christ where? In your heart. And this reference is made to what? To the altar of your heart. 
Me and Joy like to tell our kids, there's a throne that sits upon your heart. It's the throne of your heart. What is sitting there? Because whatever's sitting there is leading you. Can I tell you this? God is a jealous God. He wants to sit in the throne of your heart. Some of you've got God there, but you've also got your finances there. Some of you've got God there, but you've also got other things there. Some, some, I mean, there's something else taken there. Some, some of you, your kids are there. God wants you to love him more than you love your kids. Because if you do, what he's going to try to show you is how much he'll take care of you kids and how much you can trust him with your kids. Man, there's times when our kids become the idol before the Lord. As crazy as that sounds. Just as much as anything else can be. It's easy to poke it like finances and stuff and materialistic stuff, but it's hard when it becomes relationships. And man, as a, as a guy who youth pastored teenagers, I can tell you all the time, teenagers have all kinds of unhealthy relationships where they come way before God. Their friends come so far before God, it's unreal. But we're learning. We're learning. We're still young. We're learning at that time. So we just teach them. We teach them. We teach them. We show them the right way. It's hard. Adults struggle with it. You can't get, over, can't get upset at kids when adults still struggle with it. It's the truth. The altar of God sits right here. So how do we come back to the altars within the church? Well, this is simple. They never really let them go. There is always an altar. But they do not all look the same today, do they? Inside the church today, they look like benches but, or, or the stairs or whatever that is. But anywhere you meet and commune with God, hear me, hear me. Anywhere you meet and commune with God is an altar. It could be next to your bed. Some of you have got your Bible, you've got your devotions like that, and you've got a place where you sit right next to your bed and you pray. Praise Jesus that you do. Your kids need it. Your neighbors need it. This world needs it, right? It could be a quiet place in the back corner of your home. That's the place where you talk with God. It could be it. But make no mistake, there must be an altar in your life. There has to be. Otherwise, we will fall into laziness and prayerlessness. One of the things my wife has said before, that I always thought was good. She says, fire never falls on a barren altar. Fire only comes to an altar that has something to burn. You want fire in your life. You want the fire of God in your life. You have to be in the altar. You have to be in the altar. You have to. The early Pentecostal movement witnessed this. I mean, in the early 1900s, following the Azusa revival, Pentecostal leaders saw the dire need for altars. From the altar, they witnessed the power of God to supernaturally transform and change people. They, were, they, were, they saw the evidence of these things. And, and listen to their statement regarding the Holy Spirit and the altar and how these two work together. This is taken all the way back. This is a hundred-year-old statement. Listen to this. Pentecostalism is a spirit movement. Therefore, Pentecostals favor worship in which the spirit moves. For Pentecostals, worship means experiencing the Holy Spirit in the fellowship of the church. While anointed singing and preaching are highly valued, they are not the goals of worship. They are the means to the desired end, which is what he says, an encounter with God at the altar. It is in the altar that souls are gloriously saved, converts are sanctified, the sick are healed, and seekers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whether these altar calls are noisy and dynamic or somber and tearful, those who witness and participate in this spiritual worship walk away from the altar deeply moved and inwardly transformed. Pentecostal worship is not simply enthusiasm, neither is it entertainment. It is an evangelistic encounter with God's holy presence. Guys, they had it right. That statement, as old as it is, is right. 
The altar is a place where we encounter God's presence. The altar of God is where we're sanctified. It's where we're healed. It's where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The altar is a place where we are transformed in, inwardly into the image of Jesus Christ. You have reason to fear the altar because it will change you. You don't get to come here and walk away the same. You better have reverence. I can tell you there's a reason all these scriptures are on these altars up here. Old paint and a little stain might have covered some of it up, but it's there. And I can tell you, I have wept over these things, and I have prayed over these things. I have no doubt when we come to the altars, even today, God is going to show up in great ways. Let me be clear. I aim and desire to press you into the altar on a weekly basis all year long. You can take it to the bank. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you to build altars in your home, a place in your home where you can commune and meet with the Almighty God. I promise to do my part as recorded in the book of Joel. Listen, Joel chapter 2, 12 and 17, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room in the bride her chamber, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. The Bible says if we do this, if we will return, if we will fast, if we will weep, if we will mourn, if we will rend our hearts, in other words, repent, then God will, Joel 2, 28 32, will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon my name will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. What Joel is saying is that if we'll do our part in seeking the Lord at the altar, then God will bring about revival here. And when it's here, it will be everywhere else. I'm not worried about a church revival. I'm worried about a soul revival. I'm not worried about a community revival. I'm worried about a soul revival. Because if a revival starts here, it's, it goes everywhere. Can I tell you, you know where it started for me? It started for me when those little ladies began to pray for me. And then God fanned the flame at that little church in Terrell, Texas. And it's led me all the way to here. But the flame was found at the altar. It's always found at the altar. Not in an empty one. You got to put something on the altar to burn. When Elijah wanted fire to come from heaven, what did he do? He built an altar. You know what the challenge of God was that? I'm going to try to squander that moment. God, I'm going to pour water on your altar to try to squander what you want to do. And you know what happened? It burned anyway. So you can say all you want, Lord, I'm nothing but water. There's no way you're going to burn me. There's no way, Lord, I've got this in my life. This is going on in my life, God. This is this. You've got all these excuses of why you're not on fire. Meet the Lord at the altar. I don't care how much water you keep putting on yourself. You will burn.
The only way to fill an altar is to pray. And we must be a people of prayer. Which is, I can tell you, we've still got a few weeks to just linger on this topic of the altars and, and topic of the Holy Spirit baptism. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's where we're headed. We're headed into just talking about prayer for a while. And being alone with God. And finding ourselves back again. Going back to our roots. Remembering what it was. There's a reason you're here. Most of us in here know the Lord. And you've stayed faithful. And you've been faithful. But it's time to rejuvenate that thing that's inside you. The seed produces other seeds. You know how long trees live? And keep producing other trees? How many acorns they drop every year? Your job is to make acorns. God will pour the water. He'll provide the rain. He'll make sure your roots are deep. He'll give you enough winters to drive your roots deep into the ground. And he'll give you enough springs and summers to make sure you flourish. Oh, you might have a season or two like our oak trees out here where they don't produce any acorns because there wasn't enough rain. But I promise you, during that time, your roots will dig deep and you'll find the water. And when that time comes and the rain comes again, you'll produce a crop. Everything is a season. Everything is a season. On earth as it is in heaven, everything is a season. You might have felt dried up, man, but I'm telling you, those days are over right now. This is a season of rain. This is a season of rain. Feel it in your spirit. Know it. When you hear me say it, feel it in your spirit. Leonard Ravenhill once penned that barren altars are the badge of a prayerless generation. Church, I don't want to be a prayerless generation. I want to see our altars filled up. And listen, guys, it starts with us. There's not going to be anybody else that's going to come if we don't start to begin to pray. It's not, it's, listen, the greatest evangelism, this is what the whole idea of what if we return to the Lord, that God would advance the gospel. When we begin to have fire within us and the evangelistic work is, is happening within us and God is ministering to us and then we get ourselves on fire, right? We take the altar fire out into the streets and everything we touch. You ever take like something that's on fire and try to sit it down next to something else? It causes that to be on fire. You ever notice that? That's kind of like easy stuff to know, but... You know, when you, got, when you light something on fire, you don't just put it down anywhere, right? Why? Because it'll light other stuff on fire. Can I tell you, if you leave out of here on fire, it's just naturally going to happen that you're going to place other people on fire. It's just naturally going to happen. And the more you pursue the fire of God, the more it's naturally going to happen outside the church. Fire begets fire. Life begets life. Just like death begets death. And if you're spiritually dry, you know what you're going to create? Spiritual death. Rain begets rain. Well, let's make this as simple as we can when it comes to the altars. What happens at the altars? Well, first is confession. The altar is where we confess our sins before the Lord and we receive forgiveness. <clears throat> Some of us, like myself, need this on a weekly basis. Confession of sin makes, for us a, it makes our heart change. Reconciliation changes us. If we fail to confess our sins, it can dangerously lead to pride. And pride is what caused the devil to fall. So we forsake all behavior that leads to that. We repent and we confess and we receive forgiveness. Allow the Holy Spirit to console and comfort you at the altar. Right? Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't help the things that I've said or that I've done, Lord. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm like Paul, God. I'm doing the things that I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do. I'm, I'm doing, Lord. I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm frustrated, Lord. And the Lord says here at the altar, you are forgiven. There's no condemnation in those who know Jesus Christ. He's not here to, he's not going to harp on you at the altar. God's not going to come down on you like, yeah, I've always known you were bad. Listen, he ain't like us. So don't make him out like us. 
God forgives you. He says, no, son, no, daughter, I forgive you. Here you are made right before me. Doesn't mean the consequences of some of your actions ain't all of a sudden just out of the way. But what it does say is this, you are right between you and God. And then here's what the Holy Spirit begins to do because the Holy Spirit is right here in the altar too. He begins to comfort you because he's called the comforter. He begins to console you. He begins to remind you that there's no condemnation now in Christ, right? That God has another name for you and it's not the name that you think you, that, that you, think you are. It's usually a whole lot better than you think you are. Which really ministers to you at that point. And it creates this closeness with God. And all of a sudden we begin to share intimate things with God at the altar through communion because we're now we're talking that channel which was broken by my pride and that channel that was broken because I refused to come because I was embarrassed or that channel that, that was broken because I, I, maybe I feel like because of my sin I'm so far away from you God I can't talk to you. God's like that's foolishness. And once that's broken all of a sudden communion begins to happen again. We start to have conversations with God. The same God who says ask anything in my name and you shall receive it. The same God who says greater things you will do because of your connection to my son, right? This is our opportunity to become right at that point, to come and be baptized in the Holy Spirit at that point. That's when it happens. When we have this time back and forth, when we've repented, when we confess, when we're consoled. And then what happens then? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, then fill me up, God. Lord, I'm an empty vessel, God. I real, I, I, when I come to the altar, I'm carrying my cross. That's the reason it's hard to come to the altar, because it's heavy, Lord, and I'm bringing this to you. And the Lord says, well, let me hold it for you real quick while you're here. Let me hold it for you real quick so you can feel the lightness of that. All right? And let's talk. And here's the next thing that happens. Maybe the last thing that happens, the commission. All right? I, I poured my spirit into you. Now you're going to take this cross and you're going to walk everywhere you go and you're going to tell everybody about me. Why? Because you know that when they come here, I'll lift it up off them. That burden that they're carrying, I'm going to lift it up. That problem that they have, I'm going to take care of it. That sickness, oh, I'm going to lay hands on that thing. Every time at the altar must have a conclusion. And that is when we rise up after being with the Father and we're sent out to minister. We're commissioned. All of this happens at the altar. Listen, the altar can be where you sit. It can be there. But here's the problem I found. When you come forward, you know one of the things we talk about, a confession of faith happens. When people come to know Jesus, they have to admit it in front of everybody. Confession of faith, that's what baptism kind of is too, this confession of faith. They're going to admit it. They're going to publicly you know, announce that they believe in Jesus. Can I tell you something, man? When you come forward, you know what you have to do? You have to suck up your embarrassment. You have to surrender. That is why God can use you. Because in that moment, you surrender. It's like when we raise our hands. It's not comfortable all the time to raise our hands. And let's just be honest. If we raise our hands too long, they're heavy. But, but, but it's surrender. There's this helplessness thing that happens when I come to the altar and I just say, okay, I don't know it all. God, I, I am embarrassed to come, but I'm believing, God, by faith. I'm believing by faith. You are who you say you are, and you're going to do what you say you're going to do. There has to be that. That's why we pro provide it. 
There has to be. It's not just extra carpet. It's not just uh, uh, some benches on the sides. It's more than that. And the benches, they're just wood, man, with some fancy paint on it to make it look nice. But can I tell you what happens here? It's not going to be the wood. It's not going to be the carpet that makes the difference. What's going to happen is you bring your surrendered heart here. God will bring his power here. Man, like Elijah, we've laid the stones and the wood. You bring, you bring the rest. You provide the rest. You, you are the sacrifice. You, you're the one praying for God to pour it down now. That's on you. That's on me. It's on us. We must become a people of the altar if we're going to survive as a church. We must remember our roots. We must, like the prophet Joel said, return to God with all our hearts, with fasting and weeping and mourning. We must rend our hearts and not our garments. In other words, it can't be an outward show. It must be an inward change. This is where churches struggle. This is where churches fail. This is where they have hard times, is when change begins to take place. When, when is it real or is it just the motion? You know, I've, I've been in a lot of Pentecostal churches. I've, I've seen a lot of things. And can I tell you, there's a lot of people that just go through the motions. And it upsets a lot of other people as well because they know we're just going through the motions. And, there, and there's a lot of them that get away with that. And it, may, it makes some of it non-valid. And it's, it's changed our culture, our church culture, even our Pentecostal church culture over the years where some are like, I'm not sure it's real. They just always kind of kind of do this thing. I'm not sure anymore what's legit because they just kind of do it. It's like when we say, we, you ever heard the word phrase or called courtesy fall? The fact that there is that phrase at all, when a pastor lays hands on them, it's like, well, I kind of courtesy fell. I didn't really feel the Holy Spirit. Kind of felt like I probably should. Right? It's stuff like that that is taken away from the greatness of who God is. No, man, if you don't feel the Holy Spirit, why are you faking it? So you what, fit into the church? By the way, that's why people leave, right? Because we don't like fake people in the church. The people who act spiritual but aren't. Man, if God didn't hit you, it's okay. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you right now, where I do give praise and honor to, before you criticize it, at least that person was up in the front. I'm going to tell, tell you when it's happening, you know, think thing about Azusa. When Azusa revival happened, the easiest thing to do is, man, I, I, this sounds so cliche, but there's so much truth to it. Rodney Howard Brown, I heard him say this once. You get under the spout where the glory comes out. I mean, I hate to say that's his event. I mean, it's probably the most evangelistic thing I'm going to say from an evangelist. But you get under the spout where the glory comes out. If God is moving, you don't sit in the back. You go where he's moving. Right? They followed him when he was the tornado through Exodus. They didn't go like, man, that's too scary. I'm not going to be a part of that. No, man, you follow that thing wherever it goes. How long do you want to see the impossible? How much do you want to see the supernatural, right? You go where the Lord is. The Lord will meet you right here. And you know what? You say, well, I prayed and nothing happened. Well, you keep praying. God will test you. It didn't, it's, I can name you like less than Three or four times where I saw something unbelievable from God. But can I tell you that this is a great thing about when God does something. It lasts you your whole life. God will give you a tank that will fill up so big and so great, it will last you your entire living life. And you know what? If I never see a moment like those things I've experienced in my past again, it was enough. 
God has given me enough fire from those two little small moments that I've just shared with you. And there's been others where God's done amazing things, like things that I could have never believed or understood. But I can tell you, it wouldn't take just a whole lot because that fire is an unquenchable fire because you will not change. You don't get to come back and go back to the same way things were because you've been, you've all of a sudden are in the know now. You know that he's real. This whole invisible God stuff is foolishness to you. God is not invisible. You'll meet him face to face. Unexplainable. When that happens, get ready. Get ready because Pentecostals aren't like the biggest. I mean, we, we have a lot of churches that are Pentecostal today, but there's also just as many that aren't that don't believe in that. And you know the only reason they don't? It's not they're not bad, guys. They just hadn't had an experience with God like that. Or they sat in the back because it's scary. How do I explain what I don't understand? How can I believe what I cannot see? I get that. That's all, listen, that is human. That's human. That's why I love my Baptist brothers. I love my, my uh, Methodist brothers. I, I love my brothers that, 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 like Paul said, oh, you've only had the baptism of John? Well, man, I've come to give you the Holy Ghost. That's okay. I get it. Doesn't mean they didn't love Jesus. They just had not received the Holy Spirit. God's the same yesterday and forever. What he's done then, he will do now. He will do now. Bring the worship team up. I believe it's time to raise the bar and return to our roots. We are a people that is birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit. From Acts 2 till now. And truthfully, it's time we act like it. It's time we act like it. It's time we act like we know where we come from. And if you hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit, I'm here to tell you that today is the day. And if it's not today, then you better be here next Sunday because it'll be that day. Or you better pray all week. Because if you hadn't experienced the Lord like that, if you hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, it's time. It's time. It's time. Because the world needs us. The world needs us. God said this is the church he was planting. Book of Acts. He planted a church that moved in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they laid hands on individuals and they were saved. They laid hands, silver and gold have I none, Kyle said. And then what happened? The guy all of a sudden can, can see, he can hear all these, the lame man walks. All of these miracles that keep happening. Dead men rise. Paul began to walk so much in the Holy Spirit that just articles from his clothing fall off like napkins and handkerchiefs and people are getting saved by that. It's like, oh, it was just his shadow. Just the shadow of one of those guys. They're just dripping in the anointing, dripping in the Holy Spirit. They were so saturated in their prayer life. Paul said, Paul, the irony of Paul who didn't talk in probably tongues as much as obviously that some would like because Paul had to make his justification. He goes, man, I speak in tongues more than you all, but I choose not to for some of your accounts because it would blow you away right now. The thing, you wouldn't understand it. You would think I was crazy. So I come to you and I minister to you. You might not hear me speak in tongues a lot, but the reason I'll talk and justify it and speak up for it because I do speak in tongues, maybe more than you all. And that's okay. There'll be a time, there's a time for it. And there's a time when they need to edify the body. I think the hardest line for ministry is knowing when the two. But this is a safe place where we search for God in that fashion. I didn't go after God to find Pentecost. I didn't go after God to find the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't raised in church 
I never, I, I've been to church maybe one or two times before I met my wife, and then she would carry me to church. That's it. I didn't know anything about people. Spe- I didn't know anything about like people speaking in. T- I didn't know anything about people laying hands. I mean, the only church I'd have been exposed to was the Lutheran church, and it seemed like all they did was the pastor would sing, and we sang back to them, got on our knees, ate some communion, drank, and that was it. I mean, like, literally, that's about all I remember church being about. I didn't go after God to find him at the altar. That's where they guided me to. They said, son, this is where God is. This is where God is at the altar. And if you really love Jesus, this is where you need to talk to him at. So I began to go to the altar and it felt uber embarrassing because I don't know anybody in here. I'm kind of this guy out here at front out of everybody else. I don't know what I'm doing. And God showed up. God showed up. He met me there at the altar. He poured out the fire at the place of sacrifice. And man, that's what we're called to be. We're, we're getting ready to worship. When we get to the last song, I'm going to preach a little bit, but when we get to the last song, I'm going to open up the altars. And I'm expecting full altars. I'm going to lay hands. And my hands are just human hands. But we're going to pray for people to be healed. We're going to pray for this city to, to be rise up in revival. We're going to pray for a prayer revolution inside this church. Every Monday, we're still going to have prayer over here. We'll figure out what we're doing when we do the remodel. But for right now, while we have the opportunity to meet over here on Monday mornings, we're going to pray in the mornings. Listen, it's not convenient. But then again, you know what I've known about prayer? It never is. I'd like to sleep too. But you know what I really want? I watch the news. I got, you know, my two older kids, they've learned how to navigate some of this. But I still got one that's coming. Can you imagine parents today? Some of you, can you imagine parents today? They're going to na- they're gonna have to teach their kids how to navigate this ridiculous world we live in right now. Or we can do something about it and begin to pray for it right now. That's not small work. That's big work. The irony of prayer is this, that even a child can pray, but it's funny how we struggle with it. All we got to do is make time for it. And it needs to be a time, if I'm going to be honest and truthful, it really does need to be a time where it's just you and God, all distractions removed. Even if it starts out as five minutes, give yourself five minutes for prayer. We will become a church of the prayer. When the house of God becomes the house of prayer, we will see revival. Rise as we get ready to worship.
we rend our hearts this morning. So that you can do a work inside of us to change us. Oh
Lord, this next song is our heart's cry, God. This morning, we consecrate these altars, God. Lord, this morning we bring ourselves to the altar, God. We lay our hearts before you, God. Lord, kick out anything that's on the throne of our hearts. Lord, remove all idols, God, so that we may solely focus on you this morning. And Father, as we get ready to sing this song, make the words match up with the things of our heart, God, so that we sing it in spirit and in truth, God. Lord, we know what we ask, God. Draw close. Draw close, Lord.
lift our hands up. Just lift your hands up right where you're at. That's fine. Lift your hands up. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Show us your glory, Lord, this morning. Show us your glory, Lord, this morning. Come down from on high, Lord. Come down from on high. I tell you, if you don't need the altar, for some reason it's not for you the altar this morning, could you at least come and begin to pray for somebody at the altar then? At least we can join each other at the altar. At least we can begin to pray for each other at the altars this morning. If you will, if you you can, just come on down and just, we're going to place a hand on someone and begin to pray for them. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Power in the name of Jesus. Hope in the name of Jesus. Healed in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we want to move in the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Send your fire to this place. Send your fire to our community, Lord. Send hope to our community, God. Lord, bring revival to our own hearts this morning, God. Bring revival to our own hearts this morning, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is how it begins, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. We are ready, God. We are ready, God. Do your work. Do your work, God. God, that when we speak to somebody, we speak change, and we speak life, and we speak love and forgiveness, God. We speak hope into people, God. Lord, pour it out on us, God. Pour it out this morning on all, Lord, wherever they're at, anywhere in this room, Lord, pour it out. For those who are not here, we speak healed in the name of Jesus. We speak healed in the name of Jesus. We speak unity in the name of Jesus. We speak family in the name of Jesus. Speak life in the name of Jesus. Speak thankfulness of heart in the name of Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I bow my heart. Jesus. 
just linger. As the Lord is moving and the Lord is working, I'm, I'm going to step out of His way. Some of us, we've been dry for so long, we hadn't seen rain, God. We've been like our community, God. Stuck out here in arid weather, God. It's been dry. Lord, the rain has finally come. It's saturated. Father, saturate our hearts, God. Make our water tables overflow, Father. Lord, that we are as our city is right now, God, just saturated in your rain, in the power of your Holy Spirit, God. Lord, changed that we'll look upon this day and remember this day, Lord, where you came and you poured out fire in the altar, God. This day is the day we were birthed. New beginnings, new hope, new passion. Lord, it's one thing. You remember, Lord, we prayed, Lord, we prayed that we wanted a church not birthed by human hands, but birthed the Holy Spirit. We wanted a church that was birthed, a family God that was birthed by a miracle. But Lord, you are that miracle. Lord, teach us to be a people of the altar once more. To find our way back to the altar once more. To be filled, empowered, emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Lord, you've planted dreams in people, even here, that right now, God, that you that have laid dormant for a long time. It's time to wake those dreams up. Some, some of you have things to finish. You're already halfway in them, and you've put it on the burner. Well, it's time, the Lord says, it's time to finish it. Some of you are wondering if God even sees you. Well, he does. This morning, listen, because he's trying to speak to you this morning and say, saying simply, I see you, I hear you.
too long have you cast that voice within you as something else other than him open your ears this morning church and hear the voice of God know who it is feel it in your spirit know it in your spirit spirit begets spirit isn't the result of one person. This isn't, oh, Pastor Jim's been praying. No, no, no. This is the result of all of our hearts, the secret places of all of our hearts, longing for something more than just a good service. There's been that tiny little uh, 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 nudge in the back of your mind where it said, I want something more than just decent preaching. I want something more than just decent worship. I want something more. I come to church in a restaurant. I need something a little bit more, God. It works against everything in my grain. I'm here to tell you this morning, the more is God. God wants to give himself to you. That's bigger than any building. That's bigger than any location. It's bigger than any organization. God wants to give himself. And guys, I can tell you, this is only a glimpse the Lord has been sharing with me. I keep telling my wife every week, you can ask her. I was like, I can't, I can't even tell you how excited I am about this year. I can't tell you like the Lord is, I feel like finally the Lord is like taking some of the reins off me. Like he's put the bit in my mouth over the last three years and said, no son, I'm trying to teach you something in this process. And I know you don't like this because this is not how you lead. But he's saying, son, if you'll trust me, if you'll trust me, there'll come a time where I'll release the bit from your mouth and you'll be able to walk in a way that I want you to walk in and do the things that I've called you to do. Can I tell you, I feel like the bits come out of my mouth this year. For some of that, listen, it's not only freedom for me, but it's freedom for you too. Because, listen, I know. I know. I know it's dry at times. I know that it seems like, listen, I, I watch the news. It seems like no hope. But that's a lie. The truth is we do win in the end. The truth is our God is more powerful. The truth is the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The truth is greater things you will do when you walk in the name of Jesus. The truth is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will say things you didn't even know you knew. And all those little things, those little seeds that were planted in you that you've been feeling guilty about because you don't remember them, they will be recalled in the moment that you need it. And for some of you, that's going to be the fire of God revealed in you. And when it happens, it's going to change you. You watch this week. You watch. You're going to end up saying something and watch yourself. That's, for, that's a word for somebody this morning. Man, and I think that's what the Lord wants to keep doing. I think he wants to keep doing it. Look, what, what, what eventually brings people to Jesus, it's the same thing that brings people to Jesus. It's the fire of God. How many of you just get enamored looking at a fire? It's like you can't take your eyes off of it. That's what brings people. It won't be us. It won't be us. And our, what our all testimony will be? Well, I got caught looking at the fire too. Now I'm burned up. And you will be too if you keep looking at the fire. And that's what's going to be said. We wanted a church. Some of you remember, some of you have been here long enough to know. We said we wanted a church that was birthed in more than just some model or some uh, emotional thing or some just, uh, we wanted a story of all stories. Do you remember us talking about that? We want a church that we could absolutely point to God and go, there's no doubt that it was all God in this. 
You know what that means when you pray for something like that? It's like praying for patience and God giving you the worst circumstance in your life because you prayed for patience. So we prayed for a God moment, a church birth from a God moment. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think we've been waiting on? Man, I'm telling you, we're here. We're here. You better get excited because I am. I am. And guys, I do know how to cheerlead, so you get ready. You get ready. Amen? Let's pray. Father, right now, we're getting ready. I release them into the wild, God, as you have released me into the wild, God. Lord, I commission them to go in the name of Jesus and make disciples, God, this week. Father, teach them to love each other and to love others, God, as you love them, that they may draw close to you. Lord, challenge them with a quiet place this week. Find a place to pray in Jesus' name. Lord, awaken that thing within us, Lord. Take us back so that we may take the gospel farther. In Jesus' name, amen.